Hello and welcome to the new season of Learning Rewired, a podcast that aims to cover some of the biggest challenges faced by HR and L&D leaders. This podcast is brought to you by Headspring, the executive development joint venture of the Financial Times and IE Business School. I'm your new host, Thiago Kivi, and today I have a very special guest here with me at the F2 Studios here in London, Ruth Kudzi. We are going to have a conversation about mindset and the science behind performance, which is, of course, one of those subjects which are always relevant for business leaders. And with the context of the great wave of resignation in the background, this is becoming even more important. So, hi, Ruth. Welcome and uh, thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. So, Ruth, um, you are a management and a workplace consultant, right? So, And you are also the, the author of a book... Mm. and the founder of your own business, the Optimus Coaching Academy. So tell me, how do you work with your clients? So predominantly what I do is I work with clients to train them Um, to become coaches or train them in coaching skills as leaders. So a lot of the work that we do is working with people who are already leaders in businesses who want to develop their leadership styles and develop their skills. And do so in a way so they can then facilitate change in their teams, they can be more supportive, they can perform better, and their teams can perform better. So it's about equipping people with the skills that they need to perform more effectively at home and at work. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And um, when when your clients come to you, what kind of problems do they do they usually have? What kind of problems do they ask you to solve? So when it's people within businesses, so when businesses, for example, are looking to train their leaders or their teams in coaching skills, often it's because they feel like the team isn't performing. And that might be for a number of reasons. They might think because they're a hybrid team or they're a, or they're a fully remote team that they don't have the same kind of... Um, they don't, they don't have the same bonds between them. So sometimes it's, a, it's that the team aren't getting on as well as they think they could. There might be um, significant issues with things like employee absence and sickness and engagement. All of those kinds of classic HR measures that we look at, those are still the things that people come to you about because ultimately a business wants their people to be happy and they want them to be happy because they want them to be able to perform. And we know if people have autonomy, then they're more likely to, to be happy and perform. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And of course, in the, in the last couple of years, those things have changed, right? I mean, even at Headspring, working with some of our clients, the, 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 the type of demand that we've seen coming from clients are, are, are very different now. You know, we're talking about... Perhaps, as you say, some of the classic issues, but um, we're seeing a different level of uh, issues coming up, like, for example, mental health, the whole hybrid leadership or or remote leadership, right? And and the whole issue about hybrid working as well, how to manage teams and how to build a culture, you know, in hybrid work. So we notice a lot of change as well in the the type of requests and demands that we see from our clients. How have you seen... Uh, that happening as well with you, with your clients, have the, the have the uh, requests or, or or the priorities evolved over the last couple of years? Oh, definitely. Um, I think that things like you know flexible working was on the agenda, wasn't it? You know, if we're thinking even two years ago, now it is 
like we went into a world where everyone was working remotely and now it's about managing remote teams. It's about, you know, and lots and lots of, if we think about who's at the top in a lot of businesses, they were from a culture where it was normal to go to the office. So if you're thinking about the MDs, if you're thinking about the people who are on the senior leadership boards, many of them all they have really known is being at the office and then they've been forced to work remotely. And there's massive cultural shifts. There's massive shifts around the way that people see leadership, the way that people, the way that people manage their teams. People who've managed by control, very, very difficult to do remotely, very, very difficult to actually see what people are doing. And that can create a lot of distrust in cultures. It can create um it can create fear. And we know that some people are really struggling with how to adapt their leadership style and also how to get the best out of their teams within this context. And I think layered upon that is the fact that remote working and hybrid working doesn't work for everybody. And when you don't have people in the office, it's about looking at how you can support people with things like mental health issues, mm. which you might have been able to pick up on more easily if you'd seen people. Yeah, yeah, of yeah. course, yeah, yeah. And with the same context as a background, you know, the pandemic, the the hybrid work environment, the the whole remoteness and not being able to even be in the same space as, as, your, as your colleagues and, and, and the team that you manage. What do you think it takes from a leadership perspective, from a personal development perspective, uh, what does it take to navigate this and continue performing well, even under these challenging circumstances? So I would say, and I, I'm kind of a massive fan of Simon Sinek, so I definitely think optimism, but also vulnerability. Like being, as a leader, it's okay to say, this is really tough. This is uncharted territory. Mm. Uh, I am also learning. And if your team know that you want to make things better and you're committed to making things better and you're committed to listening to them and working with them on the next stages, they're much more likely to be with you. I think one of the most important things as a leader now is to have a culture of transparency and trust. Because if you have that, then it's much, much easier for, for you to build from there. But where things go wrong is when a culture isn't transparent and when there is a lack of trust or a breakdown of trust. Mm. And I think that people are, people are seeing through that, aren't they? They're seeing like, you know, if someone says, oh, no, everything's fine, and you're like, uh, really? <laughs> um, it's, has, it's not really fine. It's not really okay. Then, um, then people start to distrust them. And that's when people get fit. People then are fearful. And when people are fearful, they often often have what we call a threat response in um, personal development. And a threat response is like the response that we have Mm. that, you know, when we used to see a tiger or a lion years ago, you know, our body freezes, our brain freezes and we're not able to make decisions and we're not able to function effectively and our stress levels go up. So as much as possible as a leader, it's about creating and cultivating a culture that is open and honest and transparent. Okay, very interesting. Uh, And uh, mindset, right? Uh, Next topic here for us. Um, I see that all the time, right? It's very, very common to see people talking about the power of mindset, especially when it comes to the challenges that we face in our lives, you know, building a new 
routine, you know, trying to get discipline, you know, all of this, you know, people say that it's all about the mindset. It becomes almost like a very common place or even like the, the, the most obvious answer to, to many of the problems. But I guess the last couple of years have really challenged everyone's mindset, I guess, right? Certainly yeah. have challenged my mindset. <laughs> Mind take. <laughs> you know? So given the mindset, mind, especially mindset si science is one of your areas of expertise, what are the... What are we missing about it? You know, what what is it that we really don't know about mindset? You know, what do we need to understand um, about how mindset works uh, and how can we really master it? Okay, so first of all, so mindset is such a big it's such a big word and I'm not actually a fan of the word because it sounds set, but actually it's not set. We can grow and evolve. And the most important things that we can do for our brain are all of the things that we already all know and may not do, but already know that we can do for our body. The most important thing that you can do for your brain is to rest. Like everyone thinks that it's having ice baths or, you know, doing these fancy things, but actually rest is the number one thing. So if you are not getting enough rest, then you're not going to be able to function effectively and therefore your stress levels are likely to be higher. And we all hear about cortisol and the stress hormone. What I would say in terms of mindset, at the starting point, think about reducing your levels of stress because you are not going to be able to effectively be at your best, problem solve, make decisions, focus, remember things, unless your levels of stress are lower. Because cortisol as a hormone, well, it's a hormone and a neurotransmitter, cortisol decreases your executive function. And the reason it does, does that is because when you get that, that stress hormone, its function is to get you to, you know, make a decision. Or, yeah, it, sorry, your fun its function is not to make, get you to make a decision. Its function is to keep you safe. So do the basics. Get enough rest. Look at what you're eating. You know, eat things that look like food rather than things that are beige. Drink water. Probably don't drink loads of coffee, I say, just after having a coffee, but probably don't drink lots of coffee. Probably don't drink lots of alcohol. Go outside and be in nature. You know, all of those things that we already know. And then other things like simplify the choices in your life. If you think about your brain like a computer, the reason that people like Mark Zuckerberg wear the same outfit every day is because they're limiting their choices and they know by limiting the choices for simple things, they actually have more capacity to make more complex decisions. It's interesting, I was talking about this the other day actually, because if a woman did that, I wonder if people would acknowledge it in the same way that as a man does, if they wore the same mm. thing every day. Mm. But it is about you know having those basics right. So before you do anything else, work on your rest, work on your stress, work on your looking after your body. And then from then, start to pay attention to what you want to change and start small. So all of the people who do lots of great habit research, James Clear has written a great book called Atomic Habits, BJ Fogg, they've both got great names for habit research as well. BJ Fogg has got um, his Habit Research uh, Institute, which I think is at Stanford University. And they say, compound effect, Start small, start with something that you can do and really think about that compound effect of building and building and building. So 
with anything, it's about looking at where you are, that awareness of where you are, and looking at where you want to be, and then starting to move towards where you want to be. So with with rest, for example, if you're not getting seven to eight hours a night, what can you do to increase your rest? Like before you even look at your thoughts and your inner critic and all of that stuff, start there. And maybe it's like, okay, I'll go to bed 15 minutes earlier. Like this, this isn't rocket science, but this is really what the basics and the science behind mindset is. Getting your brain into a position where it can function at its best. And then there's lots of stuff that I could talk about that you could add on top, like, you know, building your resilience and using tools like focusing on what you can control, not what you can't control. Being aware of how you speak to yourself. Mm -hmm. You know, actually, when we practice gratitude, it decreases stress. Mm -hmm. So that's a really easy, effective thing that all of us can do. Write down what you're grateful for at the end of every day and you'll rewire your brain and you'll mean that you're less susceptible to stress. You know, if you're highly stressed and you start this, it's probably not going to have a massive impact. But if you do the other things first and then you start adding this, over time, that's going to rewire your brain. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And of course, uh, we're just coming out of a time when, you know, literally people have been working from home and uh, a lot of the boundaries between work and personal life have really been blurred, really. You know, I found myself working... I don't know, from my bed, three o'clock in the morning, many, many days. And I was like, what am I doing? You know, so how much rest do you need in order to operate well to begin with? Well, the research generally says most people need seven to eight hours a day. But if we're thinking about productivity and performance, there's lots of interesting studies. There's studies about going down to a four-day week, which mm. I believe they're going to introduce in Scotland, I believe, or they were talking about it. And they did some a, a massive study in Iceland, and they found that when people went down to a four-day week and didn't compress their hours, so they worked 32 hours instead of 40 hours over four days, there was not a significant impact on performance. Mm -hmm. So we know that this culture where you work more is not necessarily working. So I would say it's about, re first of all, it's about making sure you get enough rest. Then it's about making sure that you've got clear boundaries. And as a manager and leader, you're demonstrating them. So if you're a leader and you're saying to your team, you know, you can, as long as you meet this deadline, as long as you perform, you can work in a way that works for you. So you can pick your kids up from school, you can go to the gym, whatever. Your team are only going to believe that if they see you modelling it. So leaders need to model the behaviours that they want to see in teams. Mm -hmm. Okay, thank you. And of course, you've been a coach for a number of years now, right? So I wanted to ask you, how can managers really use those coaching skills to keep supporting their teams and ensuring that they're finding purpose and getting the best out of their work? It's about listening. So the number one skill in coaching and leadership and management skill is listening. So asking your team what is going on. You know, having open questions. Instead of saying, I think, my thinking around this is, or my thoughts, what are your thoughts? having that open dialogue with people and really listening to what is going on for them. Mm -hmm. the, that is the most important thing. And 
allowing your team to take autonomy for what they want to do rather than being directive. Okay, what do you think the best solution is? How are you going to make that work? If someone has autonomy, they're more likely to perform. We know that. It's basic. We know that with our children, don't we? If we tell them to do something, if if we ask them, if they come up with the idea, even if it's the same thing, they're more motivated. So it's the same thing with, with our teams, allowing them to be listened to, giving them a forum, asking the right questions and responding to them. And I think there's a big thing there actually about as a manager, being prepared to hear the good and the bad and acknowledging that you are you are not perfect and in times of stress your team may well say things to you that they maybe wouldn't say to other people and being able to look at okay what's about me what's about them what can we do as a result yeah no very very interesting and um what I wanted to ask you now is um, about misconceptions that some people have, right? Because, you know, sometimes when we talk about performance, you know, we tend to think that precisely that, you know, working until three o'clock in the morning, keep delivering, delivering, you know, hitting your targets. Of course, these are important. And, uh, you you know, if you're in business, you have to. But um, we all know as well that things are not really like that, right? When 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 you put pressure in one place, something else will happen in another place, right? You know, every action creates a reaction. So um, how can managers or business leaders create that culture, really, of, I would say, a culture of learning, right? Mm-hmm. You know, and growth, personal development. But in a way, they keep delivering, of course, but they you don't harm yourself or, or, or harm your, your yeah. own. I think it's about... You know, again, being really clear on boundaries, like there's really simple things that we can do as managers and leaders. Do not send the email at 3am. Even if we as a leader are working at 3am, there's a little thing on your emails that you can do to schedule. (laughs) So if people see you're sending emails at 3am, they think that's normal. So it's about modelling boundaries. And, uh, you know, I, I actually said, so my husband works in the business yesterday and he sent an email at nine o'clock and I said, schedule it, schedule it for the morning because if the team see that you're sending emails at that time, they'll think it's normal. So it's about modeling boundaries. It's also about, you know, checking in with people and seeing where they're at and helping people if they're feeling, you know, asking people, how is your workload? And getting really clear on what is actually going to make the difference. Because so many people, they might be working, they might be present, you know, presenteeism, even working from home is crazy. And I think that lots of us overcompensated because we had young kids at home. So we're like, oh, I need to work even more. But we're not actually being productive. Like productive work does not equal sitting at your desk. Productive work could be going for a walk in the forest to think through a problem and then you come and do it. So I think there's something about reconsidering and reimagining what productive work is and getting really clear on what is going to make the difference. Um, Just on that point, can I interrupt you? Yeah. About 
prioritization. Yeah. Right. Because I was watching one of your videos where you talk a little bit about prioritization. I think the four quadrants. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Ah, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> Is that from the seven habits? Yeah, it's yeah. from it's from Stephen Covey. Yeah, I love that as well. Yeah. Should I talk, talk about, about that? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so I I at, honestly Stephen Covey's great. Yeah, I love this. So he has this. It's his time management tool. Four quadrants. So you have urgent and important. So quadrant one is urgent and important. It's things like, I had to come here today at two o'clock to do the podcast with you. Like that's urgent and important. It's in my diary. If I've got a client, I have to be there for them. Um, then you have, actually, I'm going to go to that one last. Then you have quadrant three, which is urgent but not important this is things like meetings yep. so we think that we have to go to all of these meetings and as a leader sometimes you have to sort of go who needs to be at this meeting and how urgent is it and how important is it emails oh my gosh emails we can get you could spend your whole day answering emails mm -hmm. and actually you're like is this is this important as well as urgent and then quadrant four is not important and not urgent. And if we're overloaded in quadrant one and quadrant three, we'll go to quadrant four. And that's when we either scroll on Instagram or other social media. Or my favourite is we book holidays and Airbnbs. We booked so many Airbnbs during the pandemic. When I say we, I mean me, that we've only just finished them. And my husband was like, what are you doing? I'm like, because that was my way of distracting my brain from all the urgent, important stuff. Mm. But the most important quadrant is this one called quadrant T, and that's important but not urgent. Planning, strategizing, you know, exercise, coaching, personal development, reading, listening to podcasts, spending time with your friends, hobbies, all of those things in there build your capacity for quadrant one. So when people get burnt out or overwhelmed, it's because they've got too much stuff in quadrant one and they haven't actually built their capacity and their emotional capacity. Mm -hmm. So basically the, the the advice here is to focus on things that are important, yeah. but not urgent. Yes. And also look at the balance, like be honest, like how much time do I spend firefighting? Yeah. Because, you know, oh my gosh, I used to yes. be a deputy head teacher. So I used to be a deputy head teacher in inner London secondary schools. And I would say, you know, that, that some days you... You literally spent your day in urgent and important. <laughs> like you spent, yeah, you spent your day in urgent and important. Now, if you didn't, at the end of that day, go and do things that were not important, yep. so that were, that were important and not urgent, like, you know, go, like going for a long walk yep. or, you know, having a plan for the next day or having a chat, with, then you would burn out because we only have a limited capacity. So these are the things that perhaps are things that are somehow invisible, right? Because these are yeah. because the urgent things are the things that, you know, everyone is on, on top of you, right? Everyone's like, oh, get this done. Oh, get that done. Yeah. You know? So especially working remotely, that's can be that can be a challenge, right? Because if you tell your boss that you're spending some time just uh, working on long-term things yeah. that are not urgent. You know, or just looking at at the important stuff. Some people, I'd say, they probably react. Oh, we need to look at right now. You know, we need to look at the short term because if we don't focus on the short term, there is no long term. I heard that a lot. So, how how do you counterbalance that? What kind of advice do you give people for that? 
It's about trust and autonomy. Mm. Now, if you if you're thinking about your team and your business, like say to them, like this is what you have to like. These are your deadlines you have to hit. This is what I expect of you. But if you give them autonomy to as long as they've got the skills, and so some people need more support, but as long as they've got the skills, if they get autonomy on how they do that, and, you know, they say, they're able to say, actually, you know, I've got a lot of creatives in my team who work with us, and they say things like, right, I'm offline, and they do, they have like a little brain, like, I'm offline this afternoon because I'm working on something creative, and we're like, okay, that's fine. Mm -hmm. And it's not up to me to direct how they do that work. So it, it a lot of this is coming back to realising that the, the way that we get the best out of people is not to be on top of them and controlling them. And I've had to have loads of conversations actually internally in our business as well with people where you know, people have said, you know, we have lots of like, so we have a team of 24, but a lot of them are kind of 50% because of, because they, they kind of work for us and they do other things yeah. as well. And you know, there was this idea that we were the people who were fifty percent who were working twenty hours a week that we would track all of their hours, and so we track that each <laughs> week and ask them what they were doing. And I'm like, these people are highly qualified yeah. people that we trust. This isn't creating trust. How about we say to them, what's your capacity for doing any? You know, we have like we have additional things. Like, what's your capacity for that this week? Um, when we had conversations and I said to them, like, you know, how are you using your time? Like, one of them was like, oh, well, what I do is if, if I do have free time, I do this and I just make sure that the resources and this is up to date. And one of them said, well, in my free time, I really like to go for a walk and listen to podcasts. And then that really informs me as a trainer here. Another one over here. And I was like, if we're like kind of nannying them to tell, we don't create a culture where they feel valued. They feel like we're in, Big brother watching yeah. them. So it is really about giving people ownership and autonomy. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Have you come across the kind of leader who precisely conscious of this whole approach of, you know, their team needs to focus on the important stuff, not the urgent stuff? Have you come across someone who takes all the urgent stuff for themselves and then just gets overwhelmed? Oh yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, lots of, <laughs> especially, <laughs> yeah, yeah, especially <laughs> entrepreneurs, like or people who lead small teams. Um, I think that you know, it's it it can be really, especially if you 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 know all of this, so you want to help people. There's this idea that okay, so if I take this away from them, they'll be in a much better position. Mm. So we do need to be really mindful that for us as well as leaders, we equally need to have the same thing that our team have. Yeah. And it's not helping anyone, and we both yeah. know this, being in bed at 3am in the morning yeah. doing our work. We both know it. We're both smiling, so I know we've both been there. <laughs> <laughs> lot to learn, lot to learn. Good, good, good. So um, let's change the focus a little bit now. Um, Talk a little bit about your book, yeah. right? Because you have a book, which from my understanding is focused on helping women to grow and find happiness in their professional lives, right? Yes. Yeah. Please tell me a little bit about that. And yeah. especially what motivated you to write it? So I wrote that book. When you say about the book, I do get a bit like, because I wrote that book in 20, I started it in 2017. So it's right. three years and I'm just writing the second. Well, I've just finished. My second book is with an agent right now. Um, but 
it, it was really about, you know, that idea that often at work we have this moment we're thinking, is this it? Is this everything that I, I, I want to achieve? And so it's about helping people to really think about how they can thrive at work. Mm. Um, it's called the Smart Women's is this it? The Smart Woman's Guide to Finding Work You Love. Men can read it too. So I have had men that have read it and it's been relevant for them. But it's it's very much thinking about looking at you and looking at how you're engaging with your work, if it's the right work for you, starting for you to be more proactive about building a work-life blend that works for you. And everyone's is going to be different. Okay. And uh, looking at the uh looking at the topic of your book from a different perspective, like from the employer's perspective, mm. right? How can employers really help women grow and be at their best? I think it's listening again. Okay. I think I think that a lot of things, like a lot of policies are written by men. Mm. And yeah, back in the time when I worked in education, I remember coming back from maternity leave. It was my first maternity leave. So I'd left, I came back on my first day, I went straight back into it. So I went like I had I had like a five-day lesson. Now I was a senior leader, so that was really unusual for me to have anyway. And I said to my boss, we have to support women coming back. Otherwise, they're not gonna come back and they're not gonna stay. And he's like, oh. And I said, because doing this doesn't work. And he really hadn't thought about it because he wasn't, you know. It, was, it wasn't that he didn't care, it's that he hadn't thought and he hadn't asked people. And I think there's a lot around understanding people's priorities, whether they're a man or a woman, whoever they are, um, and realising that the way that we work may not work for everyone. And so if you want to retain your top talent and you want to encourage people to stay, listening to what is going to help them. And that's going to be on an individual basis. I know in the news over the last few weeks, it's been about, you know, giving people um, time off for things like the menopause, you know, if they're going through the menopause and paying for that HRT and paying for fertility treatments, and all of those things, which are a massive step forward. But I think it's great to have this broad brush approach, but also as a small business, listening to the individuals. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And listening is something that you've been talking a lot yeah. about, right? Any tips, advice on how people can actually be better at listening? Okay. So the first thing I'd say is take yourself and your ego out of it. Mm. Really difficult for bosses to do this. So what you want to do is when you are having a conversation with someone, think about what they're saying and listen to the congruence between their words, their energy, their tonality. Like, do, does it all match up? If they're saying, I'm really motivated to do this, right? they're not motivated. So why are they giving you those words? So it's about looking at everything that people are saying. And I would say, just pause. Like the more that you pause, the more people will fill in those gaps. That was, that was a pause. <laughs> I was hoping. And you fill the gap. I know. <laughs> that worked. See? Um, now, you, about you as a person, right? Okay. Because you have all this knowledge. Yeah. And you have all this experience. How do you apply that in your life? You know, how do you actually ensure that you are really 
thriving at the things that you do? I think like anything, I'm not always like doing everything that I know that I could be doing. So, you know, we're all humans. I have like, we've just come back from a two week half term and I definitely had more wine than I know is great for me and did less exercise and ate more cake. But it's actually part of part of all of this is seeing yourself as you, your identity. So I see myself as a healthy person. So even if I do like kind of fall off the wagon sometimes, it's like, actually, but I'm still going to exercise. I'm still going to walk. I'm still going to eat my vegetables. I'm still going to get enough rest. And equally, it's knowing that when, you know, if, if, for example, I have a bad night's sleep, I'm like, okay, so what, what happened there? What can I do tonight? You know, what is it? Is something worrying me? Do I need to speak to somebody? And I would say it's always a lifelong learning of lifelong journey of learning. James Clear, who I mentioned before in Atomic Habits, he talks about when you want to build new habits, like making the friction smaller. So things like having your your gym kit out in the morning so then you can go for mm. a run. I mean, now I wear, I drop my kids off at school and I go for a run. It's done. But it's always about you know, knowing that you can always get back on that horse mm-hmm. um, and giving yourself breaks, giving yourself brain breaks, mm. being out in nature, all of those basic things I do for myself every day. Mm. And I also acknowledge that I'm not perfect and I've got lots of stuff that I need to learn and grow mm-hmm. on as well. Yeah, of course we all do. And that's what I wanted to ask you next, you know, about things that you learned about yourself in the last... Oh Two years because it's been a revelation, right? Spending too much time with ourselves, spending too much time at home, maybe reading, maybe, I don't know, uh, consuming a lot of content. So what did you learn in the last two years? Oh my gosh. Well, I learned that I really got dopamine hits from my phone and being on social media and I could see that automatic um, habit. Mm-hmm. And one of the things that I do is when I'm at home, I don't have my phone in the same room as me. Yeah. And that is just massively changes my behavior. But I do find sometimes like coming into London on the train, I'm just like scrolling and I'm like, wow, because that's a habit. I'm yeah. you, When I'm on the train, I scroll. I didn't bring my book today. I normally would bring a book. So yeah, that, oh my gosh, my stress response. I've done a lot of work on that over the last two years. But I realized at the beginning of the pandemic, my stress response is to just take action. And I become really directive. I become, if you know anything about personality types, I become a really high D. So I'm literally just like directive, goal focused, directive, goal focused, all about the task. Mm. And it's really interesting because that isn't my normal style, but I suddenly go into that style under times of stress. Um, Yeah, that for me, to manage my stress, I need to be outside. Um, yeah. And the, the most important thing is boundaries. Because when you work from home, and I have that compounded in that my husband works with me as well, it's so easy for work to become everything. So it's all about being really clear with your boundaries and also you know, just resetting and resetting and resetting. Mm. What is one thing that really helped you during this period? Being outside. And yeah, we've just so, moved yeah. to, you know, yeah. I, I just shared, we just moved to like near a forest. So that's really helped me. But exercise, exercise has been the most important thing for me. And when I was a bit shaky, which was at the beginning of this, beginning of 2020, yeah, 2021, 
yeah, when, mm. the beginning of 2021, so January, February, March. Bleak period. The bleak, right? the yeah. bleak yeah. period. Oh, <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Yeah. Then I really like... <sighs> Uh, we had we actually had a nanny and we had her for four hours a day and I would just work solidly for those four hours and then I'd be homeschooling and because it was cold as well I wasn't going outside I wasn't really exercising and I found that, that I had a real that that was my bleakest period of the whole pandemic and what I realized was I need to exercise I need to be outside and actually that four hour period where I was just working intensively again, like, I need to have breaks. I need to have brain breaks. I need to have fun. Mm. I mean, hopefully our children can't remember that time. <laughs> they were too small. That's what well, I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, they're still lucky, right, you know, compared to, to the realities of... Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yes. I mean, they were yeah. they were like painting and drawing yes. and, you know... You know, like, spending more time with mum and daddy, you know, at home. I think they, they're yeah. still privileged. So, exactly. uh, you can't never lose the perspective as well, right? Yeah. You know, we, we sometimes we some we we look at ourselves. Oh my life, you know, it's hard. But you know. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're we're, works, we're, we're you know. <laughs> and be grateful for yeah. that, and be grateful for yeah having the opportunity to have them at home. And yeah, you know, before the pandemic, my husband used to travel every week. Mm. So mm. every week, uh, every week he'd be away, mm. and now he's with us every yeah. day, and that's amazing. So. Mm. Most of the time. <laughs> that is good. That is good. Um, essentially, I mean, just going back to our listeners now, right? They, are, especially our L&D and HR leaders listening there, uh, they are probably eager to create a culture of positivity, you know, a culture of fulfillment and also a culture of performance. If you were to leave our listeners today here with one piece of advice, what would that be? I would say... Be brave and go to your team now and ask them what it's like for them now. Because you can come up with all the initiatives in the world. You can come up with all of the things, but find out where they are right now and find out what they need and then respond to that. So, you know, <laughs> four-day weeks, all of the, like, there's all of this stuff that we can do. But actually, it's back to listening. Listen to where they are. There's no point doing anything unless you know where you're starting. And then you can start to build things in. You can look at a program. A great model to get you to think about is the PERMA model by Martin Seligman, which I'm sure you'll be aware of, which is um, the model of flourishing. But when you look at that, then you can start to think about, okay, well, what what could we do within the organisational structure that would support this? Mm -hmm. Fantastic. So I think that's it. You know, I think this has been great. You know, Ruth, thank you very much for your time. Um, what I wanted to ask you, like, how can people get in touch with you if they want to know more about your work, about your book, about your, about everything that you do? What's the best way to connect? So I seem to be the only Ruth Kidzi in the world. It's K-U-D-Z-I and you can find me on all the social channels. Fantastic, fantastic. That's great and thank you very much. I also want to thank all our listeners and if you enjoyed this podcast, we have a lot more coming over the next few months. So please subscribe, share with your colleagues and if you have time, please leave us a review. Uh, and if you'd like to know more about Headspring and our executive learning solutions, please visit our website, which is www.headspringexecutive.com. That's headspringexecutive.com. And we have a lot of resources, articles, research, webinars, 
podcasts. You know, this is probably coming the, the next couple of months. So hope to see you next time. Bye bye.